Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with the Hero RB and Super Hero RB, Double Hero RB draft strategy. Last week, we covered Zero RB, broke down you know what it takes to build out a Zero RB, some of the biggest mistakes, some of the rules of a Zero RB. Today, we're going to be covering two other draft strategies, Hero RB and Double Hero RB, which is basically where you have an anchor running back as it's most commonly referred to. So if you guys enjoy strategy content like this, you know, redraft content, dynasty content, consider hitting the subscribe button. If you haven't already done so, go down to the bottom of this video at any point if you receive some value. Hit the button that looks like this. It means you like the content, recommends it to other people. Comment any of your thoughts down below as well, and we will pretty much respond to everything that you guys comment, as you guys know, if you're following the channel. So uh, with that being said, Danny, how you doing? Doing well. And yeah, obviously you guys would have seen the zero RB video at this point. Um, the main thing I will say before we go into the full strategy, before we go into the full breakdown of the hero and double hero running back strategy is that all of these strategies for the most part are under the basis that you don't want to load up on unnecessary running backs, especially as we'll get into with that running back dead zone. So all of these strategies, although it differs on the amount of quality that you're taking at the top of your draft, they're typically avoiding the same thing, avoiding that dead zone, avoiding trying to catch up at the running back spot where typically you don't have access to players with the elite upside. Right. And I, the last two years I've won a championship in my home league and I did it on the basis of a lot of running back production, but I didn't draft all those running backs. I drafted only a couple running backs early and was able to piece together great waiver wire pickups that led me to a championship. Like in my finals this past year, I started DeAndre Swift and Antonio Gibson, who were the two guys I drafted. And in my flexes, I started Sony Michelle and Rashad Penny, who I picked up on waivers, and they were both great pickups. So if you're going to build out a running back centric or running back heavy type of team, you want to be able to piece that production together via the waiver wire uh, in your flex spots or whatever the case is. You don't want to necessarily draft four straight running backs to start the draft and go with a robust RB. But but we'll get into the semantics of everything. Uh, as always, you guys know what we got to do before we get into this. Let's hit the intro. Okay, so quickly, for those of you guys that are new and you don't know what Hero RB means or Double Hero RB means, basically the goal of this strategy is to get an anchor running back or two in a Double Hero at this position. So to properly execute a Hero RB or a Double Hero RB, you want to draft one or two running backs in the first three rounds of your draft typically. Avoid the running back dead zone, which is rounds you know three, three and a half, four to seven to eight. And load up on wide receivers in that area, maybe take a onesie position like an elite quarterback or an elite tight end. And then your ideal team construction by round eight, round nine, is that you have one or two running backs on your team, five or six wide receivers, maybe an elite onesie 
or two on your roster. This is my personal favorite strategy. As much as we, you know, talked up this is the zero RB strategy last week. This is the strategy that I personally execute most often. It's also the strategy that Liam Murphy, uh, Chess Liam on Twitter, won best ball mania two with last year. He drafted, I believe it was Eckler. It was Eckler and Taylor that he drafted at the one, two turn to win the tournament. And I believe so. A couple elite upside wide receivers, obviously was able to get lucky um, in week 17 with like guys like Amon Ron Rashad Penny that he had on his roster as well. Yeah, and uh, going on this strategy, the main basis here, I kind of alluded to, you know, avoiding those dead zone running backs. Obviously, with zero running back, you are a full anti-fragile target the, you know, rounds 10 plus on running backs in that profile, if you will, because you want to try to get those upside shots later on. You're more anti-fragile when you have, you know, one of your anchors or two of your anchors at the top, but the same basis as I kind of said. Fill up with elite wide receivers in those mid-rounds where typically we do see profiles emerge with elite league-winning leg ceilings and be able to rely upon depth and numbers as opposed to, you know, getting a safe RB3 in round six. Yeah, exactly. And I, I said you typically want to get your hero running back, your anchor running back rounds one to three, but there is also deviations of this strategy where, you yeah. know, if you love some of the round four running backs this year, like Travis Etienne, like Cam Akers, maybe you love Brees Hall or whatever the case is. There's some people doing like a, you know, modified hero or a modified zero where they deviate with one of those running backs. But we will, uh, as always, as we did in the zero running back strategy video, we are going to do a mock draft at the end of this video where we break down our mindset in a hero and a double hero my, uh, setup where one of us is picking early and the other one's picking at the end of the first round. So the reason we want to take early shots at running backs is because league winning running backs are typically drafted early on in fantasy drafts. As much as we like to talk about league winners as like AJ Dillon and Alexander Madison, guys that are handcuffs, typically what we see with league winning running backs are that they are drafted early because we as a fantasy industry are pretty sharp at project uh, projecting which running backs are going to get big workloads, which running backs are just generally good players, which ones are attached to good offenses and all that kind of stuff. So I'll let you break down what Scott Barrett tweeted out, which is basically the wins above replacement breakdown by round at the running back position. The percentage chance that a player that you drafted yields a two plus war. If you guys aren't familiar with the term war wins above replacement, basically how valuable that player is in relation to the rest of their position. And you can see for the most part with running back, you don't find running backs with a high, high win rate past round two, 29.2% in round one. If you draft one there, 18.2% in round two, if you draft one there. And after that, it basically falls off a cliff to 0% because obviously we'll get the odd case every now and then, but from a pure macro basis, typically those league winning 20 plus point per game upside running backs don't get yielded in rounds three on. So the basis of taking a running back in the first two rounds and kind of alluding to my point is that your thought shouldn't be, oh, I'm taking a running back in rounds one and two because they should be, you know, safe, locked and loaded pieces of my lineup. If you are taking a running back in rounds one and two, you need them, you need them to have that upper percentile ceiling that could be a 20 plus percent win rate back to be a Christian McCaffrey, a Jonathan Taylor, an Austin Eckler from last year. That needs to be in their range of outcomes. Because if you're just taking, you know, oh, I'm going to take Nick Chubb because he's going to be, you know, the RB8 and he's going to sit in my lineup every week. Well, at that point, you may as well just string together your RB2 with your Rashad Pennies, your Daryl Williams, your... um. Sony Michelle's Devin Singletary's from last year because realistically the advantage that a round two Nick Chubb will give you on an actual point per game basis is not much more than those bi-week fill-ins you're going to find on a week-to-week -week basis. 
Yeah, exactly. And you, you brought up 20 plus point per game running backs by round. Our buddy Ron Stewart tweeted this out where the number of 20 plus point per game running backs, which you guys have heard me break down on the league winning running backs video. It just shows the amount of guys that are coming from round one, from round two, from round three. And you see that there's just, you can't get anything in the dead zone. Realistically, there's maybe a guy late round, maybe a guy in the mid rounds here and there. We saw, you know, Leonard Fournette and James Conner, while they weren't 20 plus point per game running backs, they gave us RB one level production in the mid uh, to late rounds. But for the most part, the high end running back production is the high end running back production. The guys that we think are going to get there usually are the ones that end up getting there. And the, the usual case of that not working out is, is typically due to injury at the running back position. So if you're going to load up on running back, you should probably only draft one or two early and then fill out the rest of your roster and properly execute a zero or a hero RB and the dead zone for running backs. As we've talked about rounds three to seven, usually loaded with comparable league winning wide receiver upside where the running back upside is higher in rounds one and two, but it's not very high. And in fact, it's very, very low in rounds three to seven. So when you look at point per game wide receivers, 20 plus PPR points per game, you can see that the bars on the graph here are a lot higher than they were for the running back position because we typically don't see a whole lot of running backs go in the dead zone that have 20 plus point per game upside outside of, you know, maybe some of their young running backs this year, like ETN Hall and, uh, and acres because of, you know, some injury question marks and stuff like that. Yeah. And again, for the, for the macro standpoint, you know, you're typically you're going to find your profiles, your league winning profiles in the first or second round at running back. However, again, as we kind of said to you, there are some modifications you can make. If you are able to spot a running back profile that is inefficiently priced on the market. So last year, a big example of that would have been Deandre Swift, Deandre Swift going in the fourth round had access to that 20 point per game ceiling. I believe when he was healthy, he was a over a 19 PPR point per game score. So hitting on that in the fourth round last year, although you took him in the dead zone, you recognize that he had the upside to get into that top tier running back. We kind of mentioned it. We kind of alluded to it. And I'm assuming we're going to talk about it when we go into the draft that the main archetypes this year would be a Travis Etienne profile would be a Cam Akers like profile. If you're just taking an Ezekiel Elliott because he's going to be the RB8 overall by the end of the season, you're not taking your running back upside shots efficiently. Yeah, exactly. And if you're looking for a safe pick, as I talked about in the Don't Make This Mistakes video, you should be taking a wide receiver. So if you think Ezekiel Elliott's upsides, you know, 16 points per game or whatever, then you should just draft T. Higgins instead because that's probably his upside, maybe even higher than that in PPR leagues. And you know that because he's a wide receiver, he's probably not as likely to get injured and he's a younger player and all that kind of stuff. And even if you wanted to go old for old, you go Keenan Allen versus Ezekiel Elliott and you get uh, similar upside except way less injury risk with the wide receiver. So uh, speaking of the dead zone, you guys can see Right here, we have the 20 plus point per game score. As you guys can see, what as we talked about already, rounds one to two, it is higher. You're going to get a higher likelihood of a league winning asset at running back in rounds one to two than you will at wide receiver. But rounds three to seven, the, the base rate, 3.19% of a league winning type of assets, not very high in and of itself, but 0.69 is what you got with the running back position. And as you guys can see, the win rate tables there for the dead zone running backs, 35% at running back uh, is the chance that you're going to get a win rate above average, which is 8.33% or one out of 12, which is your average chance of winning a league in a 12 uh, man league. And then at wide receiver, it's 48%. So not only are the, the ceiling range of outcomes higher in the dead zone for wide receivers, the bust range of outcomes are lower in the dead zone than they are for the running back position. So the final thing that we're going to get into is like what type of archetype you want to be drafting as these league winning upside running backs in rounds one, obviously it's very clear. We know for the most part, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, 
you know, Derrick Henry, some of these other guys, because they've already been league winning running backs and because we know what their workload is and we know how good of players they are, they inherently have that upside. And we know that that's why we have to draft them first overall, second overall top eight, whatever the case is. But when it comes to the more unknown factors that lead to a player being lower in ADP, like a Saquon Barkley, for example, like Javante Williams, for example, one of the biggest factors I would say is age and, and uncertainty risk, like what we have with Javante Williams, because we haven't seen him do it yet. He's still a young player and we don't know what his workload is going to be. And this graphic on the screen here from FF Spaceman, he outlines the changes from year one to year two running backs that were drafted in rounds one to three since 2009, which obviously Javante Williams, uh, for example, fits those parameters. He noted that these guys saw an increase of 8.3% opportunity share and across the board, their volume went up. So one of the biggest advantages that I've found in recent years at acquiring a league winning upside running back in rounds two, rounds three is taking on that uncertainty risk of a young running back finally getting the workload that people think he can get, but don't necessarily know. And if we knew Javante Williams was going to get a huge workload, there's no doubt in my mind, he'd probably be the 103 overall if Melvin Gordon had signed elsewhere. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because for the most part, you're going to find the highest ceilings where the most public uncertainty is. Obviously, aside from, you know, the top of your draft, unless, you know, some people are fading Christian McCaffrey because they're scared of injury, where, um, in general, you mentioned these sophomore le uh, leaps, these young player leaps aren't really baked enough in terms of the ceiling range of outcomes where the market evaluates them. So a guy like Javante Williams, people are so focused on the negative. Melvin Gordon's there. You saw the split last year. Without recognizing the fact that, yeah, on average, year one to two running back, 8.3% opportunity share increase. So if we're applying that to Javante Williams, let's say, well, well last year is about what, a 50 to 55% opportunity share? For yeah, Javante? they were like almost a dead even yeah, split down the middle. Even if we could say, you know, a 60% opportunity share for Javante Williams next year and what should be a top five to eight offense and what should be the receiving role of a team that's going to put up a ton of points, especially in that division, you're drafting him at his floor. Yeah, exactly. He was the RB 22 in points per game last year. He had a 19.5% target rate to Melvin Gordon's 13.1%. So he seized the receiving role. He was getting the two minute drill snaps and some of the, uh, the no huddle offense. I heard uh, Dwayne McFarlane talk about this on the establish the run podcast. The upside case for Javante Williams is yeah, he's not going to be a, you know, 80% opportunity share running back. Nobody's expecting that, but if he's a 65% opportunity share running back as talented as he showed, his rookie year in an offense that we expect to be high scoring in a division where there's going to be a lot of shootouts. So that receiving role should be very, very valuable if they're playing from behind or anything like that. I really, really love what Javante Williams outlook is. And the final thing we're going to talk about just on the draft strategy portion of hero RB and double hero RB is the big mistake you want to avoid, which kind of Danny already talked about, which is drafting a Nick Chubb or an Ezekiel Elliott as your hero, because then you don't have that access to the elite upside that running backs inherently have over wide receivers in the early rounds. You're just drafting a running back for the sake of having a running back in your RB1 slot. And while it's still technically a hero RB, you still have one guy that's going to anchor your position. You really want to make sure that that one guy that's going to anchor your position has the ability to achieve that 20 plus point per game outcome that we want out of the running back position. Because while you can fill out the rest of your team and uh, you could win a championship theoretically with a Nick Chubb if you drafted, you know, Cooper Cup or a bunch of other mid-round wide receivers that ended up being very good this year. You want to maximize your chances of hitting on multiple positions, league-winning type of assets, and drafting a guy without a high range of outcomes will not accomplish that for you. So if that sounds complicated, we're going to put this into practice. It's going to be a lot easier to understand once we're actually in the draft. So we're going to head over to um, Sleeper right now and show you guys what we're talking about.
Okay, so now we're in the draft, and what we're going to end up doing, I'm picking from the 102 spot. Danny's picking from the 110 spot. Typically, what I've noticed, just from my experience doing a bunch of mock drafts, doing a bunch of underdog drafts, is that if you're picking early in the draft and you can get one of these top two picks, buy modal running back or you know superhero RB or whatever you want to call it, where you get two anchors and then fill out the rest of your wide receiver core and you know your onesies or whatever, has typically been the best strategy from my experience picking from these areas. And where Danny's picking at the 110 spot, typically you can get a great wide receiver to fall to you at 110 get yourself an elite league winning upside shot at why at running back with Saquon or, you know, Javante Williams. And then in the, the mid rounds, obviously hammer out the wide receiver position. So we're going to aim to go probably me going double hero and Danny going regular hero where he just gets running one running back. But of course, if, if certain players fall, then obviously we'll, we'll change up at that point. So we're going to start the draft, see how this goes. I'm taking Christian McCaffrey, pretty easy decision for yep. me there. He is, I, I, I kind of flip flop every day on whether I want him to be my one one or my one Oh two in large field tournaments, like on underdog, he's definitely my one one but in the standard home league, I don't want to blame anybody for just taking the safety of, you know, Jonathan Taylor a little bit ahead of him. Yeah. So after Corey took Christian McCaffrey, we do see Derek Henry, Austin Eckler, Justin Jefferson, Cooper cup, Dalvin cook, Jamar chase, and now Najee Harris go off the board. Now at this pick, I could take a Joe Mixon. I could take, you know, a Nick Chubb, whatever at this spot. However, after Najee Harris goes off the board, we kind of outlined the fact that the year one to two running backs typically see the best increase. Um, and not to mention, I mean, we're hearing all reports that Najee Harris should have that workload on what should be a potentially improved offense. So he would be the last round one running back here, given ADP in terms of how I can play it, that I would consider. However, when I'm looking at the board, I see Devontae Adams, and I know the elite ceiling that he has. Instead of forcing a Joe Mixon, a Travis Kelsey over a, a Devontae Adams just to fill a position, I will take Devontae Adams, access that 20-point-per-game ceiling that he does have, and see what other running back potentially that could fall back to me. So Mixon, Kelsey, Swift, Lamb go. So Swift was an archetype I was very you know intrigued by, but ultimately here, my RB3 right now, you guys will see more throughout the rankings videos this offseason, but Saquon Barkley, we talked about it. If you're taking a running back in the first two rounds, they are going to have inherently a lot of risk given the fragility of the position. We know when Saquon Barkley's healthy, you guys would have seen the contextualized game logs video as well, that his usage, his opportunity, and the overall um, big play potential, receiving potential that you get with Barkley on potentially one of the best offenses he's ever played with in his career, getting access to that in the second round is too much of a discount in my opinion. Right, so I'm back on the clock here. I mean, it's pretty clear to me that Javante Williams is my highest yeah. ranked running back left. I, I still like Leonard Fournette. I still like Aaron Jones, but I'm uh, I'm leaning definitely towards Javante. Mike Evans is still on the board as well, which is kind of interesting. I, man, I almost want to play the ADP game and grab Mike Evans here and see if Javante falls back to me. That could be really, really dangerous. I, I have now in my rankings, I have Mike Evans ranked as my 13th overall player and I have Javante as my 14th overall player. So they're right next to each other. And if I could somehow secure both of them, I kind of want to take that risk, to be honest. So I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to take Mike Evans here and hope that Javante falls back to me. And they actually <laughs> did not take him. They took the other two running backs. So I, you know, pretty much just got really lucky there. So I, I can't imagine a start this good in an actual draft. Maybe you'd be playing with some slappies if they let you get something like this. But that's an absurd start. I, I've never been more happy with a start like that. Speaking of slappies, getting a 310 T Higgins. I mean, I mentioned I got my hero with Barkley, got my lead upside with Adams. Now I'm getting a T Higgins at the 310 instead of forcing, you know, a David Montgomery there. Take your elite ceiling wide receiver. Yeah, and exactly. Going back on the clock here. Um, 
This is the part where if you, again, I'll, I'll stick to a hero for, for ease sake because you guys want to see, you know, a hero versus a, a double hero with what Corey's doing. So if I was going to diver- differentiate and do a modified double hero running back, the two profiles here would be ETN and Brees Hall. If you want to take an ETN or Brees Hall at this 4-3 spot and get access to a potential, you know, 20 point per game ceiling given the receiving potential with Travis ETN and given the overall volume and efficiency that Brees Hall should be able to see, I can't fault you. However, for this for the specific of this video to kind of fill, you know, the hero RB mold, I'll just look at the wide receiver or tight end position. I do see Michael Pittman here, and I really like Michael Pittman this year. I have him as a mid-third player. So getting access to a guy like Michael Pittman at the 4-3, I think is going to be a phenomenal value. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I would rather have Pittman than ATN and Hall. So I, yeah. regardless of the purposes of this video, he would have been my pick there. Yep. Yeah, so at the back of the fourth round here, I don't typically pick very often from this spot because my I know where I'm drafting in my home league and I'm picking 111. So I do a lot of mock drafts from where Danny is drafting. So I'm used to the profiles that I'm looking at there. Pretty crazy that Travis Etienne fell back here. I don't think I could imagine that that would actually happen in a real draft, but it's definitely possible. I'm not going to draft him because I don't want to go completely robust, but I could theoretically deviate from uh, going a, a double hero here and grab Travis Etienne, but I'm not going to do that. I'm looking at the board out wide receiver. My highest ranked wide receiver as it currently stands, I believe is Mike Williams. So I'm going to go with him and uh, Mike Williams. I get access to, you know, big play upside and a great offense. I was hoping Judy would actually fall back to me. He did not, um, but I'm cool going with Jalen Waddle instead. So I'll grab those two wow. guys at the turn. I got a, you know, three stack of wide receivers that I really like. And I was able to build out two elite league winning upside running backs there. Yep. And I was hoping either of those quarterbacks were to fall back to me, but because they both went off the board, I do actually have access to Marquise Brown here. So I will go with Marquise Brown, get that upside. And in general, in the first six weeks of the season, we could be looking at a top five overall wide receiver, given the absence of uh, DeAndre Hopkins in that stretch. So starting my draft with Adams, Higgins, Pittman, Brown at wide receiver, especially in a three wide receiver start league and just anchoring my running back position down to Saquon Barkley. Man, I, lo- I-, I-, I always love how my team looks when I do a hero RB or, or double hero RB uh, strategy. But looking at the board, I'm not going to reach on a tight end here. Quarterbacks, they're- the intrigue of Jalen Hurts is definitely here. Let me just make sure at wide receiver I'm not missing out too much. Um, I always take Elijah Moore in this spot, so I'm going to spice it up. I'm just going to go with Jalen Hurts. Typically, I yeah, would go well, with Elijah If, if I get access to any of Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow in the sixth round at any point, they're pretty much an auto smash for me. I'm just, I think it's just way too free to, to get guys like that difference-making potential quarterbacks in that re- area of the draft because all of those quarterbacks, I can make the argument, have you know, 23, 25 point-per-game type of ceilings. Uh, I'm on the board here, and again, like the reason we're not going to deviate in the dead zone and, and go towards like running back position potential is because quite frankly, the wide receivers in this area of the draft are just much cleaner projections than yep. Damian Harris and Miles Sanders and AJ. Like even as much as I like AJ Dillon, I can't feasibly take AJ Dillon over Adam Thielen. Like I just, I see way easier of a potential that Adam Thielen hits his, you know, his ceiling, which is, you know, a 12 touchdown season, 1100 yards, something like that. So I'm going to go, Probably with Adam Thielen here, there's nobody else on the board that I, I think I can get Elijah Moore to fall back to me, so I'm probably just going to wait for him. Uh, hopefully he doesn't go here. That would be kind of devastating. But, okay, yeah, they the casual went with DeAndre Hopkins and Juju. So, um, yeah, th- there's a number of guys on the board here. I like Bateman. 
also. Obviously, I've talked about him quite a bit. I'm going to go with Elijah Moore as my other wide receiver. I got five wide receivers before round nine, which is typically what I like to do. Wasn't able to get access to like an elite onesie at value because I, I wasn't probably going to take Lamar over Jalen Waddle. If Jalen Waddle was gone, I probably would have went with Lamar Jackson there, but uh, not a bad start. I, I, I still should be able to get like a Brady or a Stafford or maybe even uh, Prescott at 8-11. Yep, I dig it. I'm going to take Rashad Bateman at the seventh round pick. Criminal value there. I would have also considered Devontae Smith, but I just like the upside case there with Bateman a little bit more. So I we look at this team. Bateman should not be accessible in the seventh round. I mean, you could also argue, you know, a Gabe Davis, Devontae Smith there. I'm not going to bat an eye with you there. But ultimately here, I quote-unquote filled out my lineup, but with five elite upside wide receivers, instead of forcing a Cordero Patterson, Ken Walker, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris type into my running back position. So ultimately here, I filled out my lineup. Well, these guys are still going to have to catch up on wide receiver, especially team four. Team four is going to have to get a Hunter Renfro, Tyler Lockett type as their wide receiver too. So I'm getting the edge there, still getting a lead upside and being able to understand that my RB2 slot is going to be filled in on the aggregate as opposed to forcing a mid-round dead zone type of pick on that player. So looking here, Couple tight ends that I feel like can fall back to me. Obviously, these quarterbacks are nice, but I do have hurts. I'm just going to go back straight back to the wide receiver well. And uh, it's between, I'm going to go with, you know what? With, with the report of Michael Thomas starting on the pup, I'm going to mix in a Chris Olave here. I don't think it's too bad. Uh, maybe a little bit early in terms of face value, but ultimately, if Michael Thomas is missing any time, he's by far the most talented receiver in that pool, uh, apart from Thomas. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I was hoping that um, Prescott would fall back to me, but this guy stacked up Schultz and Prescott here. So definitely don't mind that. I had the opportunity to stack up something here. So I'm going to grab Tom Brady at the 811. Got him stacked up with Michael, uh, Mike Evans. I'm really pissed that Brandon Ayuk just went. I was hoping that he would fall. Maybe I should have went. Uh, this guy didn't have a quarterback either, though. So it might have been possible. He might have just taken Brady there from me. So I'm cool with that. I, I think, you know, Ayuk would have been nice, but... There's probably like a fall off here at wide receiver. Christian Kirk, I think, is my next rated wide receiver. I think I'm going to look at the tight end position and I'm going to get some access to an elite offense. I don't mind Dawson Knox in the ninth round here. I think um, there's a chance. I know everybody's, you know, on Gabriel Davis is like the number one, like talked about thing on every like fantasy show, every fantasy podcast. But there is a range of outcomes where Dawson Knox is the reason that Gabriel Davis doesn't have a monster season because Dawson Knox last year was quite efficient on his targets. He was good in the red zone. There's a chance that, you know, we get a hundred target tight end from Josh Allen, who has 10 plus touchdown upside. He's going to be a top six guy if that happens. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that at all. Uh, I'm on the clock here and a couple tight ends that I like that can still fall back to me. So ultimately, I'm going to go to the running back. Well, now we've avoided the dead zone. Obviously, typically for the dead zone, you're looking at rounds three to seven, sometimes in round eight, uh, like once we stretch it out a little bit. Um I'm looking at Rashad Penny, Ramondre Stevenson. I like both of these options. I'm going to play the ADP game, so I'm going to go Penny with the first pick. And given the fact that Ramondre Stevenson is listed a little bit further down, he is more likely to make it back to me. So uh, we will hope Ramondre makes it back. And perfect. I'm just going with going to go with Ramondre Stevenson as my other back here. And ultimately, as we kind of mentioned, although you want to avoid the dead zone, you want to target these ambiguous backfields in rounds 9 to 13 because that's typically when we see. In fact, normally, the back selected in nine, rounds 9 to 13 year to year usually outperform the dead zone running back because we're drafting them on potential upside, whereas with the dead zone running backs, we're projecting them based off projection and who else is going to get the touches, if you will. 
Yeah, and not only that, but uh, they also outperform wide receivers in this area of the draft, too, because the wide receiver position, we've gotten quite sharp at predicting which wide receivers will be the top 24 at the end of the year. I know I put out a tweet a couple weeks ago where we have like maybe two, three wide receivers per season that were drafted outside the top 75 overall picks in ADP that become top 24 wide receivers in points per game. So typically the wide receivers that we draft early, and there's so many of them, right, from rounds like three to seven, there's just so many wide receivers that go. And that's for good reason, because we typically know which wide receivers are good bets for either, you know, safe volume, like a Brandon Cooks or upside, like an Elijah Moore. So um, typically once you get to round nine, round 10, round 11, you're taking upside swings at wide receiver that are probably better spent at running back because you, you usually um, due to injury and, and some of the uncertainty risk of that position, you can usually get better production there. So uh, I'm on the board right now. My quarterback position's filled out. My tight end position's filled out. No real uh, reason for me to look at those. At wide receiver, I don't mind what I see on the board here, but I think uh, I like what I, what's going to fall back to me a little bit better. So I'm going to grab Alexander Madison as an upside guy to hold on my bench for the most part uh, for the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, see what happens with Dalvin Cook. And I, I don't really need him because I have McCaffrey and Javante Williams, but he could definitely be a, a contributing factor in my flex position. And the reason I love this strategy so much is because I mean, I deployed it last year in my draft. I had Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift as my second and third round pick. They anchored my RB1 and RB2 slot the entire season. And my wide receiver position was really strong with Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, uh, T. Higgins in rounds, you know, with my first round pick, my uh, fourth round pick, and my fifth round pick. I was able to uh, build up my wide receiver core really strong. And guys like Alexander Madison and, you know, Rashad Penny and guys like that that I was able to pick up on the waiver wire eventually filled into my flex spot as better production than I was getting out of my flex caliber wide receivers. Um, so another, I could go with another running back here, another like Rashad white type or something like that, but I'm actually going to grab a wide receiver. Michael Gallup's so interesting, man. I, I just don't know if he's going to be on the field right away. I think he'd be a good pick if he was healthy, but I think I'm going to steer clear of him and Jamison Williams just due to the injury concern. I'm going to grab because it's a deep league, three wide receiver start two flex. I'm going to grab Tyler Boyd in full PPR. I think he's, you know, a solid pick to have his depth. And then I, I'm probably done, you know, drafting safe wide receivers after that, because I have Tyler Boyd. Um, I can pretty much swing for upside from here on out. For sure. So uh, looking at the board here, uh, I do know that the guys picking uh, behind me, Team 11 and Team 12, have three combined tight ends respectively, which, by the way, in terms of the algorithm, why is are, are all these teams that have high-selected tight ends taking backups? I don't know. But if this is how your league actually operates and a team is in, spent or is spending a top four-round investment on a tight end and then also taking their back in the first 10 rounds, capitalize on that wide receiver and running back value because that should not be happening. But looking at the board here, I still have access to a couple of lead upside uh, running backs. Going to take Rashad White with one of these picks. Hope one of the tight ends falls back to me. And perfect. So I will go with... Ooh, this is an discu interesting discussion. I will... Uh, I'll grab Irv Smith, get access to that uh, offense that I project to take a big step uh, with the year one under Kevin O'Connell, obviously. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um... See, the, the nice thing I like about going um, double hero versus going regular hero is that you are a little bit more flexible in the late rounds to take whichever position you kind of feel uh, that you want. But the nice thing that I know about, you know, running back hit rates and wide receiver hit rates in the late rounds is that running backs do typically hit high, higher than wide receivers in the late rounds like I was talking about before. So I'm going to grab Tyler Algier here, guy that I think could maybe Dig work it. into my flex spot if... Uh, if he can command a big workload, uh, JD McKissick is probably where I'm going to go with this pick, but I'm just going to look around at the other positions. Devonte Parker at the 13 2 is not a bad guy to go after either. I, I, his style doesn't really fit what Mac Jones does well, but we also need to bake into the fact that 
Mac Jones could take a big time step forward. He had a pretty good rookie season. And if he becomes, you know, a, a significant, you know, passer in the NFL level, like Devontae Parker hasn't really had that good of a quarterback since, you know, his Ryan Fitzpatrick breakout season. So it's possible that Devontae Parker is able to get back on board uh, and back on track with the the Patriots now. But I am going to go with J.D. McKissick here because I think he's just such a great value in drafts. He was like pretty much on par with Antonio Gibson on a per game basis last year. Um, especially in a full PPR format, which this draft would be for. Sorry, that that face I made, I just got sniped with uh, Team 7 taking, you know, relatively decent hero RB build. Uh, Deb- yeah, no, <laughs> aside from wasting that pick on Stafford, I feel like, you know, Team 7 did a good job in employing a hero RB. Obviously, I don't agree with the hero that they chose, but, uh, you know, from a structural standpoint, I think they did a good job. But looking at the board here, obviously, I wanted uh, Khalil Herbert to fall back to me. Uh, running back position is a little murky after Herbert goes. Uh, I do like Sony Michelle. If this was, you know, one round deeper of a draft, uh, which it actually is, I'm, I'm just going to wait on Sony Michelle. I'm going to get access to Jalen Tolbert here. Cause ultimately here, uh, he is a bet against Michael Gallup's health of you. If Michael Gallup misses, you know, four to six games, as opposed to, you know, two to three games, Tolbert has the opportunity to work into two wide receiver sets. Apparently all camp reports are indicating the fact that he has actually, earn the role thus far opposed to a guy like Jay, or you know James Washington so taking a bet on a third round rookie who you know is an older rookie if you will he could step in play that second ancillary role to a, a CD lamb I don't mind taking that upside swing in the 13th round so that's my wide receiver seven so I'm done at the wide receiver position now I'm going to look back at running back like I said Sonny Michelle is one of my easiest you know slam dunks at the late portion of my draft getting upside to potentially the goal line role for what should be an improved offense. So yeah, I will take Sonny Michelle. Yeah. And I hope all the running backs don't go here. Cause I would like another one as well. Okay. So I don't actually have a wide receiver seven. So maybe I might look in that position. There's not a bunch of guys that I love. David Bell's probably where I'm going to end up going with this pick just because I like the upside that he can present. He doesn't need to be on my roster I'm, whatsoever. I can cut bait with him after, you know, week three, if he's playing 10% of the snaps. So he, so David Bell's my highest ranked wide receiver here. Um, at running back, I think Terry and Davis Price is also probably a good bet. We got a report out of San Francisco today, actually, that um, they're going to deploy a committee approach. Duh. Like, I mean, it's Kyle Shanahan <laughs> to do that. Um, Davis Price, is, he usually doesn't fall here, so I might actually just go with him. But I do want a wide receiver seven, actually. So I'm going uh, to grab David Bell here. So I've been, uh, been able to we'll, – we'll just focus on our teams from like a structural standpoint. So don't take away who we actually picked because maybe instead of – you know, Javante Williams, you love, you know, James Conner or something. I don't, but like, maybe that's where you're at. Um, look at the structural build of my, you know, double hero. I got what I consider two huge, huge upside swings. Everybody knows Christian McCaffrey has an elite ceiling. And then Javante Williams, who I believe has an elite ceiling. I was able to hammer Mike Evans, Mike Williams, Jalen Waddle, Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore as like my top five wide receivers, Tyler Boyd and David Bell has some depth there. Um, I wish I would have gotten elite onesie if I, if I possibly could have, but, uh, at the six eleven there wasn't really any quarterbacks left. And then at the seven, two, I thought it was a little early for a guy like Dak Prescott. So I'm cool getting Tom Brady as my stud quarterback there. And then Dawson Knox again, I wish I would have gotten a little bit better of a tight end, but, uh, Darren Waller would have been probably the only one that could have potentially fallen to me at four eleven. The rest of them, I, I'm not going to take pits that early. I'm not like Kittle was never going to fall to me. And I think all my picks were too early for Schultz. Maybe six eleven would have been okay for him, but. And uh, I just want you guys to keep in mind here in most drafts, you're not going to see teams that invest early in the tight end, take another one. So our tight end position is going to look relatively weaker than what it possibly could be in a more competitive draft. I also want to outline a couple teams here that show basically what not to do. 
So team one, I mean, this is a classic robust RB, which I mean, you know, if you believe in that strategy, whatever we at FSC typically think that's handling far too much risk and ambiguity at your running back position, not to mention you're filling out both your flex spots before the fourth round, I don't think is a viable strategy. So team one, you know, they really uh, believe in establishing the run there. Um, the other team that I, or a couple other teams I really want to point out team five, the first four rounds, if you're doing a zero RB, they did phenomenal. You got your three elite upside wide receivers. You got your elite tight end, your elite onesie. All they had to do from that point is take a quarterback and smash out some wide receivers and they would have been fine. Taking three straight running backs in an area of the draft where historically the hit rates, as we kind of showed, are far down in comparison to where we see the elite winning wide receivers come from, they ruined their start there. And the last team I wanted to point out is Team 12 had the perfect hero RB start. You got Travis Kelsey, you got DeAndre Swift. Throwing that away with three running backs in the first or in the next also four a, th- a three four turn Gibson Montgomery is the most vanilla start to a draft I've ever seen. If they had just gone, you know, Deontay Pittman with yeah. those picks, and then you got Deon- you got Kelsey Swift, Deontay Pittman, Robinson to start out your draft, then you got a real you know hero RB looking. And even if you wanted to go with another running back, like I mean, why? I, I don't understand why they would have went with Gibson or Montgomery over you know a guy like Etn or Hall uh, with the, with the ceiling that those guys possess. So yeah. Uh, break down your team real quick in terms of like the structure that you went with and and uh, stuff like that. So, for sure. So you guys would have seen that typical hero RB structure. Obviously, Adams and Barkley in the first two rounds. If you're a little bit more worried about Barkley and you would rather the wide receiver spot be spent in the second round, and you want to say go Swift and Lamb, I'm not going to bat with you. Like that's another fine build if you wanted to do a little bit of a replacement as to what I did. But ultimately, here Adams and Barkley have phenomenal insight, phenomenal uh, belief in both those guys being league winning type assets in their positions. Once I got my anchor running back, my hero running back, I focused on building out the rest of my lineup. Higgins, Pittman, Brown, smash spots at wide receiver, fill out my three wide receivers and my flex with five guys or four guys I fully, fully believe in. Get my elite quarterback upside with Jalen Hurts. Obviously there, you you know, if you're if a Kittle or a Waller falls to you at that five, six turn and you want to take a tight end, not going to bat with you there either. So it's first six rounds. I'm leaving with elite upside at the quarterback spot, three elite wide receivers that I feel like can fill out those three wide receiver spots. Another one that could fill out that flex and ultimately a running back that at full health has access to that league winning type of ceiling. So first six rounds, exactly how you should be doing it. Bateman, Alave, again, I thought I got very good value on both those guys. So I'm six wide receivers deep in the first eight rounds, which is typically where I like to be for the most part, especially in full PPR three wide receiver start leagues. From then on, I notice I am strong at depth and wide receiver, have an elite difference maker at quarterback. I focus on upside lotto tickets at running back. Penny, Stevenson, White all have the upside to be RB2s or higher and getting that at a ninth, 10th, 11th round opportunity cost as opposed to spending a pick on Mitchell, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, David Montgomery, who are being taken the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, you're getting a lot more value at that spot. If they were to hit, are going to be comparable, if not even have more upside. So typically here, again, first 11 rounds, exactly how you want to you know, coordinate it. Obviously, I'm a little weaker at tight end than I would like to be, but the value simply didn't really fall to me at any spots. Obviously, with Arthur Smith, as I kind of mentioned, if he, you know, takes over from that injury that he had last year, he still got upside in the offense that I mentioned. Finally, Last two rounds, Tolbert, 
upside first year wide receiver, and then Sony Michelle goal line opportunity on what should be in the setting offense. Yeah, definitely makes some sense. Again, uh, the the late round strategy for us is pretty much if you go hero RB, you want to hammer out some RB two potential like you did with Penny Stevenson, White, and Michelle. If you go, um, you know, double hero where you have two guys solidified, you can go with a little bit more of a balanced approach if you want to. But I still think you know hit rates would suggest that going with like Madison, Algier, McKissick types are always a good bet in the late rounds to make whether you're strong or weak at the running back position. So hopefully um, by this point in the video, you guys kind of understood the philosophy. You understood why we're going where we're going Uh, again, elite onesie positions always need to mix in, uh, you know, relative to the value that you're getting on the board, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Make sure if you guys enjoyed this video at any point, you want to hit the like button. It really helps us out. Comment any of your thoughts down below. Who's your favorite, you know, targets in a hero RB. Who do you, you know, not like this year, whatever your comment is, we will answer it and subscribe to the channel if you are new for more strategy videos, for more player analysis, all that kind of stuff. And anything that you want uh, rankings wise from uh, from us will be available one of two ways. Either you can go to patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange to get access to our dynasty rankings, our redraft rankings and all that kind of stuff. Or you can use promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit on underdog fantasy, which is our official sponsor. And you'll get our dynasty and redraft rankings manifesto for free. For doing that as well so a couple different ways you can get our rankings but with that being said peace out we'll talk to you soon